In Genesis 1, it begins, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Church, uh, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Well, we have been excited for a while to start this series that we're diving into this morning. Um, and I want to issue just another welcome to say we're both really excited to be up here. Uh, we're really excited to dive into the series. If you're new with us this morning uh, at home or in the room, welcome. Uh, we're kicking off a brand new sermon series for the month, and you haven't missed a thing. Um, and we're glad that you're here. So, uh, And if you're new, He'll mention that this is my job, but uh, I would love to know you're here. So if you're here and you want to let us know you're here so we can say hi, definitely, like Amy just said, go to outlookchurch.org new, fill out just the little form. We promise not to be creepy, but uh, we're really excited to welcome you um, this morning. We just try to be friendly people. So <laughs> anyway, I did tell him I was going to issue another welcome. But uh, So we've been excited to start the series this morning, and this is how we have chosen to begin. This is how it begins in the beginning. You see, uh, Genesis 1, uh, we are introduced to this fascinating aspect of the nature of God, um, and normally I don't think we even really notice it when we're reading the creation story because it's not something that we're focused on. Genesis 1, the whole chapter follows God as he creates uh, light and sky and land and plants and fish and birds and animals and planets and stars. And then uh, in verse 26, he says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Friends, have you ever read the creation narrative? Have you ever read that verse and wondered, who is us? Who is God talking to? We're here today to say that from the very beginning, from the first page of the story of God, we pick up on this aspect of God, this attribute of him that we spend the whole rest of our lives trying to unpack and understand. Ours is a God of relationship because God is already in relationship with God. That's right. Now, God is in relationship with God. I said what I said, right? I know, I know. <laughs> Did you catch that? This is wild stuff. Us, let us make man in our image. This is mind-blowing, but it's the perfect place to start a sermon series about community. I remember when I first learned this. I don't remember where or, or who taught it, but just beginning to understand this aspect of God's character and God's reality changed so much of how I thought about God and what I began to realize life in God was meant to look like. And that's why we're so excited to be sharing all about this kind of stuff all the rest of this month. This is Kate Mangano, if you haven't met Kate. She's our Connection and Care Minister. And I'm really glad to be up here with her. And together, we're going to dive into this essential topic that ours is a God of relationship who is eternally in relationship, that God is a relational God. It's kind of wild, but he is singular, one God, and yet also in a sense, plural, in that he is three in one. We're going to unpack that. Now, what we begin to see is not only that, but there's an implication to that truth, that we're never meant to be singular either, that we're meant to live in the plural together. 
And so there are two things we're going to see this morning. God lives in community, and two, God designs us to live in community as well. That community is core to God's being and then his doing in and through us. So listen up, everybody. Kate's about to teach us something so awesome. As we dive into the importance of community in this series, it does, as she said, go all the way back to Genesis 1. And so, Kate, take us to school. We told you we were excited. So I am going to get a little heady here for a second. I won't stay there, but a huge aspect of the nature of God that we learn uh, is that God is three persons, Father, Son, Spirit. We call this the Trinity. And these three persons are distinct from one another, but they do make up one God. It's still monotheism. It's still, it's still God. And so in Genesis, we just start to get a glimpse. There's these little things uh, that we get to start picking out and noticing from the very beginning of our scripture. Uh, for instance, the word for God, Elohim, uh, is plural, but the verb tenses of the things God is doing through this chapter are singular. Uh, it doesn't match grammatically. Uh, it's, you know, mind-blowing. People are wigging out about it, um, if any of us read the original Hebrew. Um, in the first two sentences of the chapter, we read that God created by speaking creation into existence, um, and we see that the Spirit of God God's personal presence uh, was hovering over the surface of the deep. God was, was in it. Um, we see two, two pieces of, of uh, the personal presence of God just right there in the, in the first two verses that we read. And so throughout Scripture, I think for many of us, uh, the concept of the Father and the Son is easier to grasp than the rest of it. It's a little more tangible, and so it almost feels like the three persons of God don't exist until we meet Jesus. And then Jesus hands us off to the Spirit. He introduces us to the Spirit. And voila, um, the Trinity. But that's not the case. Um, the nature of God doesn't change. God was not singular in the Old Testament and suddenly plural in the New Testament. What we read and learn about him in the New Testament is still true about him when we read the Old um, so the Trinity feels like this hidden concept um, in the Old Testament, and then it's made manifest in the Gospels. We start to see the implications, the tangibility. We start to understand it a little more, and then more openly referred to throughout the rest of the New Testament um, in the letters. But again, I said this was a little heady. So um, let's, let's talk Star Wars. We're going to yeah, talk Star Wars for a second. That sounds good. And that's a natural thing to do right now, yeah. right? We're, we're here talking about, uh, but, but in the scriptures, the scriptures reveal to us who God is, what God is like, tells us the story of God. And so looking at this story in Star Wars helps us with that. My yeah. son Elijah has helped me make sure that I know a little bit more about Star Wars than maybe I would have otherwise, maybe a lot more. Excellent. <laughs> But we're going to dive into Star Wars here for just a second. And it's been long enough, people, that if you haven't seen these movies, any spoilers are on you. Okay, can we all agree to that right now? Okay, in episode five, called The Empire Strikes Back, near the end of the movie, Darth Vader utters that infamous line to Luke Skywalker. What is it? I am your father. That's right. If we knew scripture, the way we know lines from movies, <laughs> That was right? incredible. Wow. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We're going to do more but, call and response the rest of this hour. <laughs> <laughs> I am your father, right? Oh, it's the shocker if you remember back when you first heard it. The big reveal. Now, of course, Vader was always Luke's father. 
And it is a huge part of the story. Uh, it becomes more and more obvious moving forward. But it also then changes the way you look back on the episode before, A New Hope, the rest of the episode, uh, The Empire Strikes Back. It, it changes all of that. Yeah, because you watch everything from before, because we know you watched it more than once, uh, with a fuller understanding. Uh, early on in the first movie in A New Hope, there's this line from Luke's aunt. Uh, it says something about, like, Luke has too much of his father in him, and his uncle replies ominously, like, that's what I'm afraid of. And you, you watch that the second time, knowing, oh, that's because Luke's father is the villain in this movie. Um, and it, it colors it for you. It, it gives you a deeper understanding. Or when Obi-Wan hesitates to tell Luke how his father died, or when Yoda says basically everything encryption uh, when he's training Luke at, at the earlier in the Empire Strikes Back so the fullness of the story was hidden but it was still there and so we get to look back for a richer picture of what really took place and that's true here too we get to look right. back at the Old Testament a lot as believers and get a richer picture of what really was happening and what was really um, yeah an under the surface um, that really enriches our understanding and our perspective uh, but feel free to ignore the prequels. There is nothing uh, useful uh, in that story Just for us. Forget those. We're going to move on from there. So throughout the Old Testament, God's personal presence, the Spirit, is active. Uh, he shows up to give special empowerment to people for specific tasks that God has for them. This is how we get to see the Spirit operate when we read back the things in the Old Testament. The word used for the Spirit in the Hebrew Bible uh, is ruach, with the back of your throat a little bit, ruach. Um, and it's the same word that's used for wind or for breath. Now, that's important because, like, I can feel the wind or somebody's breath um, and know, like, it's there, not just, like, in my heart I know the wind is there, but, like, I can feel it. There is a presence to it. And so the Spirit, um, it's not just a messenger or a representative from God. The Spirit uh, is God's personal presence. For example... Uh, in Genesis 41, we read that God was with Joseph and enabled him to interpret dreams. Uh, in Exodus 31, God chooses uh, Bezalel, and he fills him with his spirit, with his ruach, so that he can have the wisdom and the skill uh, and the knowledge needed to craft beautiful pieces for the tabernacle. This is what the spirit came on him to do. Uh, we read the spirit came on Joshua and Gideon and Samson and uh, these prophets and these judges throughout the history of Israel uh, so that they would have God's power or God's perspective as they led. And then in the New Testament, this word shifts to pneuma, which is far easier to say. Uh, this is the spirit that was present at the baptism of Jesus. This is the spirit that came upon believers and filled them at Pentecost. And the words are only different because the Old Testament is in Hebrew and the New Testament is in Greek. But it is the same spirit spanning thousands of years, spanning the whole narrative. That's right. Uh, and Kate, I can't help but, but think if we're going to start translating spirit in Hebrew, ruach, we might need to warn the people on the front row to a little splash zone up here you might want to be aware of there when you come from the back of the throat like that. Yeah. But, but yeah, Kate's point, uh, aside from my dumb jokes, is a really, really uh, important. And that is the Holy Spirit is absolutely found in and throughout the Old Testament. Uh, so this concept of God as three in one is not new to the New Testament. It is absolutely built into the whole 
of Scripture. But of course, it's not just the Spirit throughout the whole of Scripture. The Gospel of John uh, chapter 1 begins like this, in which we begin to meet the eternal Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, now that's a personal pronoun, yep. He. So the Word is a person, and we, in context we begin to quickly see He is Jesus, right? He is the Word. He is the manifestation, the spoken Word. He was with God in the beginning. We're going back to the beginning, and we're being told Jesus was there. Verse 14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. John says, we've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so John is making a profound point. Jesus was there at the beginning, at creation, with the Father. So this tells us that Jesus is much more than just what we might picture as that dusty rabbi uh, with his brilliant teaching, that compassionate healer as he goes around healing people that we read about in the Gospels. He's that, but John begins to open us up to the con concept that, and we realize he, Jesus is cosmic. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is God. Absolutely. It's, students, it's kind of like when you see your teacher outside of school, like in the wild, or <laughs> when we run into like our dentist at the Target. Um, and so you kind of say to yourself, you know, I know you from this one specific area, but I guess it makes sense that you exist outside of that as well. Like, I guess it makes sense that you leave the school building. Uh, so it's true here too. God exists beyond what I know of him or what I get to just interpret, you know, right now. So from the very beginning, from the first page of our scripture, we see God is not alone. And that has implications. Michael Reeves describes God as a community of love. What is God? Who is God? God is a community of love. Mm -hmm. God is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. All together, giving and receiving love. Nothing less. And so when we approach Genesis 1... That poses an interesting idea, kind of like a little mind puzzle. Uh, what was God doing before creation? We get a little snippet uh, in John 17. Jesus is about to be arrested. Um, he is praying to the Father, um, and he prays, You loved me before the creation of the world, um, in verse 24. We don't know a lot, but what was God doing before creation? giving and receiving love, existing in a community of love. So when God went to create, it was not out of scarcity. And that matters. Tim Mackey is a theologian. He's the creative director for the Bible Project. I shamelessly um, refer to his materials when you guys come and have questions about stuff or you're working on something for your group. And um, he says, uh, creation is an overflow of God's generosity and creative love. Creation is an overflow of God's generosity and creative love. How beautiful is that? Mm -hmm. What a warm and inviting picture. And so God wasn't bored or lonely or empty when he went to create. God was, God is, operating as a community of love. So creation then came from that overflow with an invitation to enter into this abundant community of love 
that already existed before the beginning of time. And we think that's a really important point for us to make sure we walk out of here carrying and, and contemplating and kind of chewing on. This idea that before, as Kate said, before the beginning of time, right, before anything else existed, community already existed because God is a three-in-one community mm-hmm. of love. And so when we begin to think about what it means to live life in God, we should remember that. It's easy to think of God as maybe uh, far away and solitary in some sense, and in that, in that way kind of alone. But he's not, and he never has been, and that's absolutely part of who he is. He is never alone, and he doesn't want his people to be alone either. In fact, that's among his very first observations when he creates human beings, right? He sees the first human being that he's created, and what does he say? It is not good for the man to be what? Alone. Alone. He knows something here needs to change. Alone is not good. And you and I, if we're honest with ourselves, can at times be tempted to want to do life alone, right? We may have all kinds of our own reasons for that. Maybe it's you're just finding that people are getting on your ever-loving last nerve. Anyone experience that? Right? Or, or maybe you just have bought into that kind of cult of self-sufficiency that we Americans love, right? The idea that I'll do it myself and I don't need anybody. Whatever it may be, it may be that you've been traumatized and, and you've gone through so much that you found it just feel safer to keep your distance between you and others. All those things are understandable, but none of those things are where God wants us to stay and how God wants us to live. He knows that to thrive, we cannot stay on our own alone. So it's not good for the humans to be alone, he says. It's not good for lonely people to be without families. In in verse uh, 6 of Psalm 68, it says God places the lonely in families. This is just one of what could have been many, many examples throughout the Scriptures of how God takes care of. He sees you and me in our loneliness, in our hurt, in whatever we might be going through, and He's got a solution. He cares. He, he wants to see us placed in families. And the really great news that you're going to hear us talk about a bunch over this next month is His ultimate solution to that loneliness problem is the church. That we're the family that, that God always intended for each of us to have. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, we read another thing that is repeated throughout the Scriptures. It's, this very verse is also quoted in the New Testament book of Hebrews. And it goes like this. The Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. God knows this is a promise that we need to hear again and again and again. I see you. I'm with you. In fact, I'll never leave you. Many people may. I never will. Because God knows above anything else, alone is not good. He's been saying it from the beginning. And so this is us. We're throughout all of this. He sees you and me. It's not good for us to be alone. He sees us when we're lonely. He wants to place us in a family. He sees us when we feel separated. He reassures us, I am with you and I'll never leave you. And so when we tap into this life that we find by faith in Christ, we are tapping into a never-ceasing, 
always active, life reverberating with community and relationship. It's a vibrant, living web of connection with others that always gets us outside of ourselves. We can't draw near to God without also realizing He is drawing His arms around us and others and drawing us all together. You know, I think the most obvious example of Trinity, uh, all present at once where we can see what everybody's doing is at the Mm -hmm. beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry uh, when he's baptized by John. Uh, The account is in Matthew chapter 3. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, with him, I am well pleased. We see Father, Spirit, Son. That's right. What I love about this scene is how everyone in the Godhead shows up, right? All in one place. We've planned just, you know, countless baptisms here at Outlook over the years. And one of the most common questions as we're kind of planning that out with someone is, okay, well, who do you want to be here, right? Uh, Let's make sure we plan that on a day that your family can come. Many times people want to make sure their small group is here, whether that's here on Sunday morning when people get baptized or we do tons of private baptisms where people just invite those that they want to have there to witness it. And I think about here here we are, Jesus getting baptized, his earthly ministry is about to start and it's like everyone in the Godhead is there. They can't help it. They've just got to be there. God the Father is there speaking from heaven, right? Good job. This is my son. I'm so proud of him. Spirit says, you know I'm going to be here. I wouldn't miss this. And he comes flying in, lands on Jesus as if he were a dove. And it's like high fives all around. Like this is going to be great and we're all here. And so the Trinity, as we've come to call it, can't be denied in this scene. It's just so obvious. And this is how Jesus' earthly ministry begins. And that tells us something too. It begins in community. It begins with God being that community of love that Kate's teaching us about. And he he can't help it. He shows up. The full community of love shows up in that moment. And this happens for you and me too. Jesus' words to us, his spirit in us, God's love for us. All of these things happen with us as well. Like I said, when we tap into his life, we're tapping into all of this. And it's not just for, in, and through us. It happens between us, right? And that's when it gets really good. We're called to be a community of love as well. Absolutely. Uh, Tim Mackey, I'm going to go back to the well on this one because I think he has a lot of good things to say um, about this topic. Uh, Tim Mackey says this, to describe God as a tri-unity is to claim that the universe is held together by an eternal community of love. Now, don't read the rest of the quote yet because that first sentence is a little like, ooh, so I'm going to read it one more time. (laughs) To describe God as a tri-unity is to claim that the universe is held together by an eternal community of love. So we start there. The God of the Bible, he continues, isn't a being that you understand. The point is to know and to be known by this God so that we can participate in his love. Mm, Amen to that. Let's read that last sentence again. The point is to know and be known, to know and be known by this God so that we can participate Mm -hmm. in his love. That's the way he wants us to live, participating in his love, experiencing it from him, Mm -hmm. sharing it with each other. That's what we're made to do. That's what we'll be exploring 
and want to keep doing that. Kate, take us back to Genesis 1 now, verse 26 and 27. Yeah. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, we read this earlier, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. This passage introduces another mind-blowing theological concept, because I didn't think Trinity was complicated enough, uh, the Imago Dei. And we're just going to touch on it, but the, the idea here is that we were made, Imago Dei, in the image of God. We are bearers of God's image. We were, we're image bearers. This is a big deal. There is something about us that sets us apart from all of the rest of creation, all of the other good, incredible complex, mind-blowing things that God created. There's something about us that is set apart. Nothing else is made in God's likeness. Nothing else is able to reflect pieces of who God is like we can. Now, that should affect how we see ourselves, and it should also affect how we see others. But that is another sermon for another day. So for right now, this complex uh, a concept to grasp has one thing that I want us to get out of it based on our time in this room now. Um, there's an implication that if God is a relational being, then we are relational beings too. If God is a relational being, we are relational beings too. Yeah, it makes sense. It, 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 it can't be any other way if we're made in God's image, that God created us for relationship. To have a relationship with him, he can have a relationship with us, and we can have a relationship with each other. This, is what it, this certainly has to be part of what it means to be image bearers of God. And so it's important to remember as we look around at each other that no matter what, we're supposed to be people who see each other as people made in God's image. No matter whether or not we agree, no matter uh, whether or not things uh, are perfectly smooth between us, maybe uh, someone has hurt us, maybe someone is living in such a way that, that, that it's, it's tough to get along with them right now, it's important to be reminded mm -hmm. that every single one of us is made in the image of God and that every single person is known and loved by Him. Amen? Known and loved by Him. And so when we begin to think that way and see other people that way, it becomes more, it becomes easier, let's put it that way, to, to understand, no, alone was never God's will or God's way. Because we're called to be together. In fact, we learn this from the reality of the Trinity. God is never alone. Never alone. He declared, it, uh, that, he declared that it was not good for the first human to be alone. And he declares it every time he sees you and I trying to go alone too. Not good, right? So relationship is baked into this community we call the church, that life in Jesus is always meant to be lived with other people. And so we're going to see in the weeks ahead that our faith is relational. It's deeply, intrinsically relational. And there is no solo version of following Jesus. So at Outlook, that's because we believe that so deeply and because we believe that our mission is to develop all of us as disciples of Jesus, there is no doing that without community. If this is baked into who God is and who God wants us to be, then there is no develop, developing ourselves as disciples without community. And that is why small groups 
exist. Now, I said those two words for the first time in this sermon, but you're going to hear them a bunch in the next few weeks. Small groups. We believe the richest parts of being in our church family are found not on Sunday morning as rich and wonderful and enjoyable and meaningful as that is, but honestly, the real richness is when you go inside and you find life in a small group community. And so because those things are true, this is who God is, this is what it means to develop as a disciple of Jesus, our intention is that our church continually become a church not with small groups, but of small groups. And we want to invite you to be a part. Many of you are already in small groups. You preach at me all the time about the richness that your group adds to your life and your spiritual life, your family life. But those who aren't, we are filling groups. We are starting new groups. And this fall, all together, uh, our church family, as small groups, will be going through an all-church study on discipleship. We think it's going to be really good, and we want you to get to be a part of it. But we know um, that it can be daunting to jump into a new or unknown thing like that. That's right. If small groups are new to you, or, or maybe it's just been a long time, we, we're going to take a second now, as we wrap up our message this morning, and introduce you to some faces who are leading or participating in some of those very groups that are ready and waiting for you to jump in. If you are ready, or just ready to learn more, you can always go to outlookchurch.org groups, and you can start a conversation with Kate. But for now, enjoy this video as you see fellow Outlookers talking about their group. I'm excited just to be with people again, number one, um, and to see the, the process of learning God's Word. I am really excited to meet with a group of women this fall to read the Bible together and then discuss it and what it means. I'm excited for the fall because we're going to be doing a study all together as a church and I think that's kind of cool when everyone's learning the same things all through all at the same time. I love the people in our small group and we all get along great so just have a good time with that and fostering great friends. Also food. Mm -hmm. The dinners together are fun. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's just amazing that how the Holy Spirit just really speaks through them and, and how much I'm encouraged you know, for that. I love hearing about everyone's reactions and perspectives. It really challenges my thinking. With a small group you get that intense, that one-on-one, -on -one, that shared vision, that shared experience that you wouldn't necessarily have with, uh, with the church in general. The community goes beyond friendships. It really is resources and help and prayer. And um, I mean, they're just available and willing to help. They're the most genuine people. You know, you grow in groups. Jesus never had more than 12 that he was really pouring his life into. You can't get that just on a Sunday morning saying hi in the lobby. Life is never this, you know, it's this. So it's nice to have people to go along that with that with you on that ride. I believe it's beautiful when we all come together with different backgrounds, diverse backgrounds, and I believe that's a representation of the kingdom. You have to sit down, read God's word together, and, and encourage one another and discuss what it means. Community is really important, or has been for us, because we um, just moved here about three years ago. And so to feel a part of the church and to get to know people in the church, it's kind of necessary, really. They've made our lives here in McCordsville much 
richer than it would have been otherwise. And I do think there's a fear factor uh, when you go somewhere where uh, maybe you might be meeting people you don't know, an environment you're not familiar with, and I think that dissolves pretty quick once you get together. Maybe some people are afraid that um, they're not educated enough in the word or they're, um, they're not, you know, they have areas of their life that need improvement. That's why you should join, to be honest, because we're all there. For someone who's hesitant to give small group a try, I would say you don't know what you're missing. Um, I think just, just being open, just going, letting people welcome you, letting people love on you um, is, is a lot less scary than thinking you have to have all the answers or the knowledge that you think might be discussed. So I believe that it's going to be something that you're going to be so happy that you did once you take that step. We would love to have people join us. Join our small group. Join our small group. Join our small group. Join our small group. Come join a group. You will grow like crazy. Growing like crazy sounds good, doesn't it? It sure does. Let's pray about that. Father, we thank you for the truth that we've gotten to unpack today and, and really chew on. It's, it's vast, it's cosmic, but it's also intimate and personal that, God, you love us, that love is what you do. Like the sun shines, you love, and you can't help but love, and you keep inviting us into your community of love. And so, Lord, for every heart here, every heart listening, watching online, God, I just pray that you'd help us all to take that step that we need to take. Step, maybe it's a step of healing, maybe it's a step of obedience, maybe it's a step of just getting uncomfortable and stretching ourselves, whatever that step may be, God, Help us to take a step closer to that community of love that you call us to. It's such a good thing. We can't help but realize that it is a good thing. You've been living in it for your whole eternity, and you invite us to it. So we're going to say yes to you, Lord. And as we worship, as we lift you up, God, we're reminded of how holy you are, how you three in one are uh, living a, a reality that is such a beautiful and holy thing, and that we get to look upon that and that we get to live into that. Lord, what a gift. And so, Lord, accept our praises, accept our worship as we lift you high in our singing and in our living. In your name we pray. Amen.